Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. I was with some Christian friends a while ago, and these are mature Christians who've been going to church for years, and I asked them, what do you think happens when you take communion? And one of them said, well, it has to do with the Last Supper before Jesus died on the cross. And I said, yeah. So today, when you take Holy Communion, what happens? And they didn't seem to have a clear answer. So I thought, I better preach on this. What I want to do for this program is share with you the five wonderful things that happen when you take Holy Communion. So would you take out your Bible, turn in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and let's learn what happens when you take communion. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the Last Supper and the Lord's Supper, that is, and we pray that before each of us takes communion again, you will just guide us to know what happens and may we receive it properly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About 55 AD, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church at Corinth, that's ancient Greece, and here's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he's going to remind these believers about communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord, the Lord Jesus, what I also delivered to you, Corinthians, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The first thing we get in communion, and this is the biggest thing, I think, is called the real presence. This is my body. Jesus didn't say this symbolizes my body. He said this is my body. Some way, in a way, I don't think we understand, in, with, and under the bread and wine is the real presence of Jesus Christ. I can tell you that one of the holiest years of my life was back when I was on internship at Chapel of the Resurrection at Valparaiso University. We took Holy Communion twice every week. That was un unusual for me. That was a holy year. There's a power. The presence of Jesus Christ is in Holy Communion. First thing we get is called the real presence. The second blessing of communion, look at verse 25. In the same way, also Jesus took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And if you read the way Matthew puts it in Matthew 26, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So here's the second blessing of Holy Communion, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, what is the new? The old covenant was to the Jews, follow me and I'll be your God. The new covenant is in the blood of Christ, trust in my son, I'll forgive your sins. Holy Communion. When you take Holy Communion, there's, there's an old hymn that goes, I look not back, God knows the fruitless efforts, the wasted hours, the sinning, the regrets. I leave them all with him who blots the record 
and graciously forgives and then forgets. In other words, when you go up to take communion, you take your sins up there, your guilt up there, you leave it at the altar, you let Jesus wash it away, and you go back to your seat. And if the devil brings those sins up again, you ignore him. Again, I, I've said this many times, a great sermon I heard when I was 20 years old, the preacher said, every time you sin, immediately do three things. Number one, confess it. The word confess means agree with. God, I agree that was a sin. Number two, put it under the blood. You say, God, I believe Jesus paid for this sin with his blood. So number three, you forget about it. Confess it, put it under the blood, and then forgive yourself, forget about it, and move on. That's what we do when we take Holy Communion. Number one, you get the real presence of Christ. Number two, you get the forgiveness of your sins. Third thing that happens in communion is verse 25. In the same way, he also took the cup and then said, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Third thing that happens in communion, we remember. This is a legend, it's not true, but you remember little Zacchaeus in the New Testament who had to climb up the tree to see Jesus and then Jesus came and said, I'm going to have dinner at your house and Zacchaeus gets saved that day. There's a legend that when Zacchaeus was an old man, he used to go out of the house at night and take a walk and then he'd come back full of peace. And this happened night after night and finally his wife was wondering, what is he doing? So one night he left the house, she follows at a distance, she's in she's walk all the way through the town of Jericho. He goes up to this big tree, Zacchaeus puts his arms around the tree and hugs the tree and goes home. The wife says, Zacchaeus, I followed you tonight. I saw what you did. Why did you do that? And he said, that tree is where he saved me. And I told God, as long as I can walk, I'm going to go back to that tree and remember him. When you take Holy Communion, you're throwing your arms around the tree of Calvary, his death on the cross, and you're saying, Jesus, I remember the tree upon which you died. When you take communion, you get the real presence of Christ. Number two, you get the forgiveness of your sins. Number three, you remember what he did for you. Fourth thing that happens in communion. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, or literally you preach the Lord's death until he comes. The next thing we do in communion, we preach a sermon. When you're taking communion, you are preaching to the person to your left and right, this is Jesus' death on the cross. This is what saves me. I remember years ago, watching many years ago, my least favorite TV show, which Hallelujah is not on it in the air anymore, it was the Phil Donahue show. He said he was a Catholic, but he did a lot to deny the Christian faith. Well, one day he has some Christian movie stars on the stage. And here's Jeannie C. Riley, a country western singer, uh, Harper Valley PTA. Uh, Jeannie, you're a Christian, yes. Well, are you one of these Christians, says Phil, that you believe that if somebody doesn't believe in Jesus, they go to hell. And Jeannie C. Riley said, yes, Phil, that's what I believe. Well, you mean good Jews, good Buddhists, good Hindus, they're not going to heaven because they don't believe in your Jesus. She said, why, yes, Phil, that's exactly what I believe. <laughs> it was great. And you know what she was doing? 
She was doing what we do when we take communion. You are preaching a sermon that the only thing that can save anybody is the death of Christ. <clears throat> Let's look at the next thing that happens is verse 26. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you preach the Lord's death, next words, until he comes. Or as the way Matthew's version says, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So here's the last thing that happens in communion. We get a foretaste of the feast to come. When Jesus returns in the clouds at the end of time, then will happen what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all the saints, all the Christians from all time will be around this huge table. You'll see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll see your Christian grandma. You'll see St. Peter. You'll see Mary Magdalene. And all of the saints are around that table. And then Jesus takes out the wine again and drinks of the fruit of the vine with us one more time. It's called the... the uh, uh, a great banquet table of God. When you take Holy Communion, you're getting just a little foretaste of that great feast to come. Let me just share a, a, a story. <laughs> I was raised in Omaha. When I was seven years old, the little girl across the street, her name was Carol, we were great little friends. In fact, I remember when my parents were trying to sell our house when I was seven, it had a for sale sign in the yard. Carol and I would stand in front of the for sale sign and yell at cars driving by, you don't want to buy this house, it's a piece of junk. <laughs> well, the house sold and we moved. But as an adult now, I'm driving through Omaha and I thought for nostalgia's sake, I'm going to drive through my old neighborhood when I was seven. So I drive through, my, I look at my old house and I look across the street to where Carol lived, and I'm wondering, whatever happened to the Lance family? So there's this blonde-haired lady mowing the lawn, and I, I did something that I don't do. I stopped my car, I got out, and I went up to the lady, and I said, you know, I just wonder whatever happened to the people that used to live in this house. My name's Tom Brock, I used to live across the street, and this girl goes, this young woman said, actually she was an older woman, Tommy! And she comes over and hugs me. Well, it's Carol, all grown up, uh, mowing her mom's lawn. Her mom is in her 90s now, still lives in the house. <laughs> so Carol takes me in and we sit at the kitchen table in this kitchen that I haven't sat in for 50 years. And we reminisced on what we did when we were seven years old. Then her mom was, uh, comes in, with, uh, had been grocery shopping. She comes in with grocery bags and, and she sees this strange man at her table and Carol says, Mom, guess who this is? And she had no idea. It's Tommy Brock. <laughs> and Gladys, I think, almost dropped the groceries. Tommy! Gives me this huge bear hug. We sat in their kitchen and just talked and talked. I drove away feeling so warm. And you know what I thought? Multiply that feeling times a thousand. And that's what we're going to get in heaven when all the Christians of the ages are reunited once and for eternity. You're getting a little foretaste of that great feast and reunion to come when you take Holy Communion. So let's review. 
When you take Holy Communion, number one, you get the real presence of Christ. Number two, your sins are clearly forgiven. Number three, you remember what he did on the cross. Number four, you preach a sermon that this is the only thing that can save me. And number five, you get a foretaste of the feast to come. One more question for today. And that question is, what does verse 27 mean? Look down to verse 27 where Paul writes this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Well, what does drinking the wine in an unworthy manner mean? Some people think that means you have to be worthy to take Holy Communion. Well, you can never be worthy. In fact, here was a, a woman that uh, the communion cup came to her and, and in the pew and she, she just pushed it away. And the pastor came down and pressed it into her hand and said, Woman, it's for sinners. It's for sinners. The reason we take Holy Communion is because we're not worthy. We're sinners who need it. So what does Jesus mean by, you got to take communion, or Paul, mean when he says you got to take it in a worthy manner? Well, it's, it's clear if you look up at verse 21. Here's the clue. He's talking about the Corinthians. In eating, each one of you goes ahead and eats his own meal. One is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? In other words, Corinthians were getting, some of them were getting drunk on Holy Communion. So the first thing that drinking worthily means is, it means without drunkenness. But then also look down at verse 29. For anyone who eats the eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Second thing worthily drinking means, it means you, you drink, drink it discerning the body. In other words, you realize the body of Christ is in this meal. It's not a normal meal. It's different. I mean, I, I, I attended, a, I visited a church, and this church takes communion every, every week. It's a Protestant church. And the pastor in the middle of the service says, okay, everybody, let's eat the bread. They passed it through. Okay, everybody, let's drink the, the grape juice here. They, you did, I, I'm thinking, did people even know that was communion? No words of institution, no exclamation, explanation. You, know, you need to discern that the body is here. And then, um, uh, you know, I, I was thinking this. Uh, if the President of the United States invited you to dinner, I think you'd think that's a pretty big deal, a much bigger deal is when the God of the universe invites you to dinner. That's called, called the Lord's Supper. You need to discern that the body of Christ is in this meal. All right. Um, let's summarize this. The Bible says when you take Holy Communion, five wonderful things happen. Number one, you get the real presence of Christ. Number two, you get the forgiveness of your sins. Number three, you remember what he did on the cross. You put your arms around the cross. Number four, you preach a sermon to people that this is what saves me, Christ alone. And number five, you get a foretaste of the great feast to come. I want to encourage you, take communion regularly. There's a power of the body and blood of Christ in communion. Go to church and take communion regularly. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, is there ever a time that a Christian shouldn't take communion? 
Well, Jackie, if you're living in impenitent sin, you're not sorry for your sin, you're not repenting of your sin, you shouldn't take communion. I, I've only had to do it a few times, but you know, here's a young woman living with her boyfriend, is having sex outside of marriage, and I confronted her on it, and she kept doing it and kept doing it, and finally I said, you know, you should not take communion until you repent of this sin. So if you're living in sin, you're not sorry, you're not repentant, I think you should wait on taking communion. Okay. Can you explain what is excommunication yeah. when people... Excommunication means that the church says you're not a member here anymore, you can't take communion here anymore, you are no longer a part of this church. And it's, it's, it's done in the New Testament. You know, we don't do it much today. We should. I mean, Jackie, I, I know of a church where there was a certain man who was using the church as his playground to seduce women. And the guy was warned, he was warned, and finally the pastor got up in the pulpit and said, women, beware of Mr. So-and-so, name the guy, uh, because he is using this place as, as and he, he, that was a kind of an excommunication, uh, just to protect the church. So there you go. But weren't the women guilty too then? Yes. Okay, because, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. Yeah. Um, some of the more liberal churches are saying that everyone is invited to take communion, even unbelievers. That's not true, is it? No, it is not. And I am, uh, if you go to my website, pastorstudy.org, two S's, pastorstudy.org, on the left are my Facebook articles that I write. And there are some very liberal Lutheran pastors and Lutheran seminarians that don't like yours truly. And some of them are teaching everybody is invited to communion. You don't have to be baptized. Some of them, you don't even have to believe. The table of the Lord welcomes absolutely everybody. No, it doesn't. Because in the New Testament, you're baptized first, and then you take communion. The apostles did not go out uh, giving communion to people. They went out baptizing people, and then people took communion. It's always been the tradition of pretty much every church until the liberal ism hit in, in recent years. Every church has said you get baptized first. But aren't there differences in the denominations also? Like Catholics have first communion when they're small children. Seven or so. Uh -huh. Yeah, and we yep. confirm when people are 14 yeah. or so. Yeah, there are differences in the churches. Some Lutheran churches will give you communion. I mean, the, 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 the Orthodox Church gives communion to infants. Really? Yeah, they do. And the uh, uh, Catholic Church tends to be about age seven. Protestant churches is kind of all over the board. There are churches, Lutheran churches, will give communions to very younger, you know, eight-year-olds, whatever. So that, you know, the Bible never spells out that there's a certain age you've got to start doing this. So some of this is left up to each church. Okay, but... You know, the churches that do it, do they actually give wine to the children? I think, I th as I remember, the Orthodox maybe would dip a little bread in, in a little bit of wine, maybe, just and then give it to the infant. Okay. Um, so, how should a person prepare to go to Holy Communion? Yeah, yeah, and you know, that's a, 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 a point that I forgot in my sermon. <laughs> well, then I'm glad I There you go. You I, I, I knew I left one point out, and the point was this. That let a person. This is First Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So, Jackie, it's good before you take communion to take some time to confess your sins and examine yourself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
And so I, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable when a church just jumps into communion, no time for confession, no silence. You know, I, I like to take some silent time to confess my sins and then go up and take communion. Okay. <clears throat> um, did God ever kill people for profaning communion? Then? Yeah, in, in this text, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Corinthians, some of them, were getting drunk on Holy Communion. And Paul says, that is why some of you are sick and some of you are dying. So yes, there was uh, God killing people for getting drunk on Holy Communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay. What do you say to the person who says, if I believe in Christ, doesn't God forgive my sins before I go to communion? Yeah. And why do I need communion? What yeah. do you say to a person Well, you like know, that? you can overdo this and you can underdo it too. When my grandpa was dying, Jackie, my mom was rather insisted that grandpa get communion before he dies. And she never said it, but I wondered, does mom think he's not going to make it into heaven unless he gets communion right before he dies? <laughs> and see, Jackie, here's the way I believe. I'm forgiven of my sins before I go take communion, if I trust in Christ, you know? But, so the question is, well, then why do you do it? Because I need the assurance of my forgiveness. Because we're human, we've got guilt, we've got doubt, and does God forgive me or not? Communion is God's way of assuring people, because of the blood of Christ and the new covenant, I forgive all your sins through Christ's blood. We take it to get our own guilt put to bed. It's, it's the assurance. I think you're saved if you're in Christ before you take communion. This is our way of getting assurance. So assurance is almost a bigger thing than actually taking the communion. Well, I don't know. I think because it's all locked together, I, you know, it's all the same. <laughs> okay. Um, can you explain what is intention? Yeah. Uh, Jackie, most churches when you go, you get the bread to eat and then a little cup for the wine, or maybe there's a common cup they pass for the wine. Some churches, they do intinction, which means dipping. So they'll take a little bit of bread and they'll dip it in the wine and they'll give it to the person taking communion. And I'm not saying that's not communion, but I don't like it. Because in uh, Matthew and 1 Corinthians, Jesus said, take and eat. He said, take and drink. He didn't say, take and dip. <laughs> so I kind of like taking it more literally. Yeah. Tom, is there any fast rule about how often we should take communion? I mean, some churches only have it once a month, and some, yep. people, some churches have it every Sunday. Yeah. I, you know, I think, too, it's, in the book of Acts, and I'm not saying this 100% for sure, but in the book of Acts, it looks like they broke bread on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And I think that's a reference to communion. It, you know, they also broke bread because they had the, the Christian agape meal, the love uh, meal often. So I'm guessing, though, it's probably communion. So I'm guessing, and I'm not going to be firm on this, that the early Christians probably took communion weekly. So I like taking communion weekly. I need it every week. And you probably, you know, churches debate, should we have it once a month? Lots of churches just have it once a month. And when I was uh, the pastor at Hope Lutheran, I wanted to have it every week. And some people argue, well, if you do it every week, it gets routine. If you do it once a month, it's more special. Well, wait a minute. We pray every week in church. We sing hymns every week in church. We do the scripture readings every week in church, and it doesn't get boring. Why can't we do communion every week? And that's my opinion. I'm not, again, uh, you've got to pray about it. Each church does. Because there's no s certain clear command on it, I think there's room for wiggle room. Do, do the churches ever deny people if they come and ask for communion when it's not 
a Sunday that there is communion? Uh, you know, they shouldn't. If somebody comes up to you, me after church and says, Pastor, I know we didn't have communion this week, but I really need it. That pastor better give it to him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wasn't the Lord's Supper really a Passover meal that Jesus had with the disciples that started Yeah, people don't, people don't understand this. The Last Supper was the Passover meal. The Jews celebrated Passover once a year when they commemorated 1300 BC or so when, the, when Moses killed the lambs and the people put the blood of the lamb over the door and then the angel of death passed over the Jews. They, their firstborn made it well as the Egyptians, their kids were dead. And so Jesus takes that Passover meal and he turns it into the Lord's Supper, which is why Christians don't celebrate the Passover. Jesus is our Passover lamb. We don't need to celebrate what Moses did because Jesus now is the one by whom the wrath of God passes over us through his death. So we, don't, we, we celebrate Passover by the new Passover. Pastor Tom, I've heard this term closed communion, mm -hmm. but I've never really understood. What yep. is closed communion? That means if you go to a church where they don't want you to take communion unless you're a member of their church, uh, that's what closed communion is. It's not open to everybody. You need to be part of their church or, or their denomination. That's, that's one group. Other groups, anybody can take communion. So it's, it's, again, there's different practices. And it just depends on which church you're at? Yeah. Yeah, they're more conservative churches tend to be closed communion, and they're not doing that to be mean. They're just trying to protect people from taking communion who might not have a clue what this is all about. And remember, Jesus says, whoever drinks this unworthily drinks judgment upon themselves. So they're trying to protect people. Okay, one last question then. What are the different understandings of communion mm -hmm. among the different denominations? Yeah, real quick. Uh, Catholics believe in what's called transubstantiation. The word trans means change. They believe when the priest says the word, this is my body, this is my blood, the bread and wine change into the body and blood of Christ. It's not bread and wine anymore, it's just the body and blood of Christ. Lutherans, a little different, not huge difference, but believe in what's called con substantiation. The word con means with, and we believe it's still bread and wine, but in, with, and under the bread and wine is the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Other Protestants, Baptists, believe in symbolism, that it's simply symbolic and Christ is not really present. And that's, those are the three differences. You know, Pastor Tom, we've been doing this show for how many years? About now? 28. <laughs> it's hard to believe how quickly the time can yeah. go. Yeah, amen. And we only have like 40 seconds left. Yeah. And I, would you like to close with prayer maybe today? Sure, and sure. Then you bet. Let's pray, everybody. Father, we do pray before each of our viewers takes communion again that they'll take a moment to confess their sins, put their faith in Christ, and then believe that when they are receiving the body and blood of Christ, because of the cross, you indeed forgive them and wash their sins away. God, just use communion to bring us closer to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.